rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself. ISIS is threatening to go even further, releasing a chilling video of Christians executed in a mass beheading. Students run to safety, some with hands still in the air. Syrian white helmet rescuers desperately trying to free victims. The winds are ferocious right now, gusting above 120 miles per hour. If you're shooting taking place at the First Baptist Church. What's up, Liquid Church? My name is Nithin. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome you. Before we jump in, will you join me in welcoming our campus watching all over the state of New Jersey? So excited you guys are with us. As we are in week two of our series, the 11th hour, where we'll try to answer this question, are we living in the end times? And if you are a human being that is alive and breathing on planet Earth, you probably know that we're living in some troubled times right now with the threat of mass shootings, global terrorism, natural disasters. In fact, this week there was a chemical attack in Syria from the government there. The United States counterattacked and now Russia is threatening to counterattack as well. So it's kind of unsettling, right? A little unnerving the times that we are living in, which makes us wonder, are we living in the 11th hour where we're, the clock is about to hit midnight as the hands of history wind down, which will lead to the end of the world and to the second coming of Christ. And so we've been kind of looking at that and, and kind of talking about that. And last week, Pastor Tim kind of began our study by giving us a look at Bible prophecy, because we're a Bible-believing church here at Liquid Church, so we're kind of taking our cues from what the Scriptures are saying. The Scripture is what gives, is giving us direction. And uh, last week, Pastor Tim showed this prophetic calendar of kind of how the world's going to kind of end in the end times. And so we talked about the rapture of believers or those that are resurrected. And then we're going to really kind of get to the place where we're talking about the big E on the eye chart, which is eternity, where all believers will end up at the end. But I got to say, here's my question. What is eternity going to be like? What happens in eternity, right? Because eternity, you know, is it going to be boring? Because it's a really long, long time, right? So what's it going to be like when we get there? And, you know, this is a question that not only uh, Christians think about, right? But I think our culture kind of wonders, what in the world is the afterlife? What is eternity going to be like? You know, in fact, uh, right now there's a movie that just came out that people are really talking about. It's called I Can Only Imagine. Any of you seen this movie? Okay, quite a few of you have. I, I haven't seen it yet. I've heard really good things. But it's based on the song by the band called Mercy Me, written by the lead singer Bart Millard, which is a song that was written and inspired by his dad, who was abusive, who was an alcoholic, played by Randy Quaid. And not only that, eventually his dad had this experience where he, he uh, came to Christ, and Jesus came into his life and transformed him from the inside out. And eventually his dad was struggling with cancer and slowly dying. And so uh, Bart's kind of writing this song, trying to think, what's it going to be like when my dad is in front of the throne room of God, where he meets Jesus? And he writes these words. He says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine right? And that's all we can do when it comes to thinking about heaven. We can only imagine. There's so many thoughts and questions that we have. In fact, I threw on my Facebook the other day, what are your questions that you have 
about heaven? And honestly, I was kind of overwhelmed by the response. I was like, wow, a lot of great, great questions, and I wish I could answer all of them, but I'm going to look at three specific questions in the Liquid Church app in our bonus content. Three questions that I saw as common themes, and the first is this, is what will our resurrection body be like? You know, what's our resurrection body going to be like when we get to heaven? Like, am I going to look in the mirror and see Brad Pitt staring back at me? Like, what, what is that going to look like? Will I be able to recognize other people? The second question we're going to look at is, what will people in heaven be able to see, or will people in heaven be able to see what's happening on earth? Like, you know, we say things like, you know, grandma's watching down on me, or so-and-so's looking down. Is there scriptural support for that? And then there's the question that everyone is thinking, but no one has yet asked, which is, will there be sex in heaven? Right? <laughs> I know you're thinking it, okay? So, it, we'll talk about that in the bonus content. It'll be PG-13, so, you know, we'll keep it real. But, you know, th this is a question, because whenever we think about heaven, right, what are the images that come to mind in our culture, right? We think of, you know, fat flying babies, don't we? These fat flying cherubs that live on the clouds in this nebulous plain somewhere out there in this giant long hymn sing that goes on forever and ever and ever. That does not sound like heaven. That sounds like hell. It's like I want to gag when I think about them. I'm like, oh, like, is that what eternity is going to be like? But, you know, I have good news for you. Uh, because, you know, as I was kind of kind of digging into this, I found and learned some things about heaven that really changed the way I, I see uh, Christianity, the end of the world, and even, you know, where we're going to be at the end of time. In, in fact, I can't wait to teach this to you, because one of the things I've learned is rather than being this kind of nebulous, kind of airy-fairy place, heaven is a lot more earthy. It's a lot more tactile. It's a lot more uh, real and physical than we could ever imagine. Because in our popular notion of heaven, heaven is some place that we go in a disembodied state. But what the Bible teaches is actually heaven will come to earth. Heaven will come to earth and will be on earth. And if you're kind of looking at me going, what are you talking about? Where are you getting this from? Well, we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 5 to see what that's about. In fact, right now you can go ahead and take out your phones and open up our brand new liquid app. And what's so great about this app is you can get it on our iTunes store or Google Play, but what I love about it is it has all of our message notes in it, it has all of our group's guide materials, it has all the information, upcoming events, sermons, anything that you need to know about Liquid is all on there. In fact, in the message section of your app, we actually have Revelations 21, uh, 1 to 5 printed out for you so that you can follow along with us. There's fill in the blanks in there. It's in the Liquid app. If you don't have it now, you can go ahead and download it and you can kind of keep up with what we're talking about today. Now, Revelation is one of those books that I think it's one of the most misunderstood and misused books of the Bible. What it literally means is the unveiling. That's what Revelation means. And what Revelation gives us is kind of this peak uh, where the, the veil between heaven and earth is kind of opened up, and we can kind of see what's happening in the reality beyond ours. And in chapter 21, John is getting this beautiful picture of what the future of our world will look like. So let's go ahead and jump in, starting at verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now I just want to stop there for a second, because I know some of you are like, you're saying there's no Jersey Shore? Keep in mind this, that Revelation is mostly written in symbol and in code. So oftentimes, when we see something like this, we have to ask the question, well, what is, what is, what is meant behind this? Like, what is the, the, you know, something that's happening? Because these are real literal things, but sometimes our words just aren't enough to describe what's going on. And one of the themes in Scripture is that the word see is often a symbol for chaos and evil in the Bible. And so when we read the Scripture and it says that there will be no see, what essentially it's saying is, there will be no evil, there will be no chaos in the new heavens and the new earth. 
And so John goes on and explains his vision in verse 2 when he says this. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who has, was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Can we just pause for a second there? I'm just kind of taking this imagery and just kind of get a sense of what's happening here. Because what's happening is that, that, that heaven is actually coming right here on earth. It's going to be a resurrected life with a resurrected Christ, uh, living in a resurrected city on a resurrected earth. Heaven is a place with streets and walls, gates and gardens, animals and people living in harmony. This is the vision that John shows us. And it's a place where evil and death and decay is gone forever. And instead is a place of perfection, of paradise. But I think for many of us, we have a hard time imagining what that's like. Like, what, what is that like? What does that feel like? Because here's the truth, is we don't live in this new reality. We live in what I call the present earth. The present earth. In fact, if this was a mall map, it would say, you are here, right? This is where we are. And the Bible describes this reality in Romans as it says this. It says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Essentially what it's saying is this, is even if you don't believe in the Bible or, or believe in anything of this Christian spirituality, you know that there's something broken about our world. You know that there's something that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't just seem right. There's death. There's decay. There's disappointment. There's great brokenness. People get prostate cancer. Kids get abused. This is the broken world that we live in, but it doesn't just stop at the brokenness of our society or our culture, our very bodies feel the weight of this death and decay. It says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Guys, our bodies are slowly falling apart. In fact, isn't that why we go to the gym? Right? We're trying to fight back the entropy, right? Like at one point, you know, things are solid and tough, but then gravity has its way and things are, you know, are kind of now hanging loose. Things are a lot more jiggly now than they used to be, right? And, and so, you know, we go to the gym, but listen, it doesn't matter how many kale shakes you take or how many protein shakes. At the end of the day, your bodies, our bodies will fall apart. They're going to fail. They're going to break down. And that's just the reality that we're in because we live in what the Bible calls under a curse. You see, the first humans uh, had this decision when God first created us that we decided we were going to kind of move away from God and away from his ways and kind of decide what good and evil was on our own. And by doing that, we released chaos and death and disease because we severed the connection between us and our creator. And that is why we are in this present state of death and decay, where death reigns supreme. And this is where we are today. And the relationship with the creator has been severed. And guys, just as if there's a present earth today, there's also is another reality. It's what's called the present heaven, symbolized by a crown here. There is a present heaven. And the heaven, if I can kind of describe it, it's the dimension that God dwells in. 
And it kind of overlaps and it kind of interlocks with, uh, with our world today. Heaven's not this place that's out there, but it's actually kind of intermingles in our reality. If you're in a small group, you're doing the sermon-based uh, group guides, you kind of go into that idea a little bit more. But it's this idea that heaven and earth kind of overlap and they're interlocked and they, and they have this connection. But the best way I can describe it is how many of you, uh, you know, when you come to some of our worship services, you sing the song, Here as in Heaven, right? You know, you kind of know the words, you know, The atmosphere is changing now. Because the Spirit of the Lord is here. You guys know those words? You guys know those words? I'm not going to sing anymore because, you know, we're talking about heaven. I don't want to make, make it feel like it's in hell. So, but you know what those words are describing, right? There's something that happens when you're in a worship service or, or maybe you're at one of our worship nights and you're worshiping, you're singing the songs, your, your hands are up high, then all of a sudden, you know what I'm talking about, right? You feel something start to shift. Something starts to change. It's like, yeah, you're at your campus worshiping or you're somewhere, but then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like the presence of God just showed up. It's very different, right? That's exactly what it means to have an encounter in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realm, God dwells there in his fullness with all of his power and all of his authority and with all of the saints, all of the believers that have passed before him. In fact, that's what happens for those who die knowing Jesus. Their body goes into the grave where it kind of goes into dust and decay, but their soul and their spirit lives with God until he comes back on this earth to rule and reign. And that should give us great confidence if you have family members or friends that have passed into eternity and who know Christ. They're still here. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, when I was thinking about my grandfather. Um, he goes, yeah, we used to call him Thatha. That's, um, I think, grandfather in Thummel. At least that's what my mom says. I go by what she says. And so, you know, my grandfather, you know, we'd go down and visit him in India. Here's a picture of my, my grandfather, my grandmother. My sister's here, my cousin. And, you know, we would go down there and visit from America. We'd fly down there, and it was awesome. It was like the best time in the world because my grandfather was bigger than life. You know, we would go hang out with him. He, we'd jump on his motorcycle, and he'd kind of drive us all over, you know, weaving through rickshaws and, and bullocks carts and all this stuff on the streets of India. And then also, he was a musician, so he would, like, show us how to play songs. He would teach us songs. It was so awesome to be with him. And here's my favorite part. He'd also go around and help me hunt for cobras because I'm like, I'm in India. I should find some cobras. I know. I'm a weird kid. I'm a weird adult. There's continuity there. So I'm, I just own it. But listen, you know, I love the time I spent with my grandfather. Again, larger-than-life guy. The last time I saw him, though, it was a very different story. See, at that point, uh, he had had a brain tumor. He'd been fighting it for a long time. And when I saw him, he was literally a shadow of his old self. He um, was very kind of emaciated, very hollow. He looked like a Holocaust survivor. Um, I tried having conversations with him, and just, we just weren't connecting. And it was really sad, because I'm like, this is not... This is not who he is. And, you know, when he passed, you remember how hard it was, uh, not just for me, but just for our whole family, just that he was now gone. But you know what? What gives me great comfort and great hope is that right now, in this moment, he is more alive than he's ever been before. Because right now, he is in the heavenly dimension with his creator, not in his hollow, emaciated state, but he is bigger than life, stronger than life, more vigorous than he's ever been, because Jesus promises that he will make all things new. Amen? This is our God. He takes that which is death and he reverses it and brings it back to life. And that is the hope we have. And that's why Paul, who wrote large portions of the New Testament, was having this tension. He was like wondering, you know, what do I do? Is it better to, to live or to die? And he says this to the Philippians. He says, to live is Christ and to die gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. The desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so Paul is kind of, he's, this is the conflict he has. He's like, guys, I love the time I have for you. I love the time we spend together on earth. I love hanging out. I love this church. But guys, to be with Jesus, oh, it'd be so much better. It'd be beyond anything we could ever imagine. And guys, I feel that tension inside of me. Man, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my church, and I love my life on earth. But to be with Jesus, it's to be far better than anything I could ever imagine or think or, or, or dream of. And it's not just because I know Thatha is going to be there. But it's the description that Revelation 21 gives us. It tells us that heaven is actually a temporary state. It's a transitional realm. Because eventually heaven will actually empty out as, all of, as Christ and all the saints leave the heavenly sphere and come down to rule and reign on a renewed earth. That is the hope. Not that we leave this place, that actually Jesus comes back and builds a final home in what the Bible calls the new earth where heaven and earth come together. This has been the goal of the entire created order. In fact, let's go back and read the scripture. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Guys, this gets me so pumped. You want to know why? Because God never abandoned the original plan. God never said, I'm going to scrap this entire world and start something new. God says, I will renew and restore this place that we're sitting in, that we're living in, that we are thriving in. In fact, I love what the theologian N.T. Wright says. He says this, God's plan is not to abandon this world, the world which he says was very good. Rather, he intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise all his people to a new bodily life to live in it. Guys, this was never plan B. God always meant and intended to restore this broken planet Earth. The old order will pass away. The king will come and rule in a restored planet. Guys, heaven isn't this place that's out there. That's this disembodied place where a bunch of ghosts kind of wandering around. Heaven is much earthy. It's much more real than that. Guys, this world will be renewed, redeemed, and restored. That's how it's always meant to be. But it's so hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? Because all we see is so much brokenness. We see the sin and the crime and, and the trauma all around us. To imagine a place where that's not even real. What's that even like? But guys, we get glimpses of this. We get these, these images where we're like, there's got to be more. You ever do this where you go on a walk and you're in nature and you see the sunset? or you're sitting on the beach and you see the waves crashing against the shore, or you're going on a hike and you're experiencing the beauty of nature, or you have a good conversation with a friend, and you're like, man, <laughs> there's got to be more to life than this. Life just seems, reality just seems so much bigger, and it is bigger. That's the whole point. What happens is when we're in God's created order, there's, there's something that's in the created order that says, yes, there's more, there's more. Don't be satisfied with right here and right now because the truth of the matter is that there are places in our world where the veil between heaven and earth are thin. And we get a taste and a flavor of the world to come. You know, I, I remember first experiencing this when my wife and I went to Ireland Back in 2009, we went there for our honeymoon. And uh, Ireland is an incredible, incredible place. 
And, you know, the, one of the main reasons why I loved being there was I got to go there with my best friend, the greatest traveling companion of my life, with my wife, Jackie. And we had an amazing time just kind of going there. And, and, and you know, we started off, you know, in, in Dublin. And so what we were doing, you know, Dublin's an amazing city in Europe, so we're kind of walking around Dublin, and we love to explore things. So we're exploring museums and going to homes of different authors. Then, you know, we're going to different pubs, kind of seeing what's going on there. And, of course, the food. Love the food. And this is a traditional Irish breakfast. This is a taste of heaven on earth. Sausage and blood pudding, folks. This is what we'll have in heaven as it is on earth. That's right. <laughs> and then afterwards, we rented a car and we drove down to a place called the Ring of Kerry. It's on the southeastern coast. It is gorgeous. These beautiful cliffs, rolling green meadows. There's beaches there. There's all these quaint villages that we got to explore. And of course, there were donkeys there. Donkeys are part of the new heaven and the new earth. They just are. And, uh, you know, it was just an incredible time. And when I think about the best parts of that time there, there were three elements that really all came together. First, it was the natural beauty. We were in nature. We were seeing so much beauty, the, the, the sea and the sky and, and just all of just the things that were there. Not only that was the natural beauty that was there, it was also adventure. You know, my wife and I, we love to explore. My kids, we, we bring them along with us on adventures. We got to explore so much and see so much of the country. And then for us, the third part, for me, was intimacy. I, was got, I got to be there with the one who I loved with my whole heart. And it was a taste of being back in the Garden of Eden. Back when the man and the woman were together, naked and unashamed, in all intimacy. See, this is a glimpse and a taste, a sampling of the world to come. This is how it's always been meant to be. So what does that for you? Where are those thin places where you've experienced just a taste of the, of the earth to come? Has it been going on a hike? Or is it going, you know, out kayaking or going to the beach? Where is that for you? Or, you know, we have a creative God who has made us creative, right? And then we are doing things that he's made us for. That's where we really feel his image, right? So maybe it's building something. It's creating something. It's making music or working with your hands uh, uh, with clay or wood or writing poetry, whatever it is. What is it that you do that when you do it, you just get a sense of, this is what I was made for. Because when you feel that, you're getting a taste of heaven on earth. It's the created order saying, there's more. There's more. Don't be satisfied for what's just here. In this pale, polluted imitation of the original, it's also a preview of what's to come. It's a preview of the restoration of all things, the world to come, a new heaven and a new earth. You know, John kind of goes on in this vision to actually describe, here's some things that you're actually not going to see in the new heavens and new earth. He says in verse 4, there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. Can you imagine a world where there's no more death, where there's no more crying or pain, the things that have caused great bitterness or heartbreak or hardship is gone? Or how about the artifacts of those things? The artifacts of death and decay. No cemeteries and no funerals. No child poverty, no violence, no terrorism, no abuse. Or a place where there's no more wheelchairs or crutches or walkers. In fact, the medical community is going to have to find a new job because <laughs> we all have restored bodies. And to me, that is the hope that we're not going to be these disembodied ghosts, but our bodies will be restored the way they were always meant to be. There's a physicality 
to the new heavens, the new earth. That our bodies, even though right now they're breaking down, and maybe for some of you, your body has always been broken down, but there's going to be a time when you're going to have a body in its resurrected, recreated, restored form. That's the hope of new heavens, and that's the hope of new earth. In fact, that's the hope that Brad and Lisa Beck have. Brad and Lisa lost a young daughter at the age of nine, and in their grief and pain, they hold on to this beautiful hope of a restored earth and their daughter completely restored. Let's watch. So Maddie was born, and right away we knew something was wrong. She had a piece of one chromosome missing. And our lives became all consumed by figuring her out and, and how to provide for her, but how to maintain our lives too. Other than crying and laughing, she, she didn't talk, she didn't say anything, couldn't express herself well. You kind of understood her moods by just knowing her really well. Everything she did health-wise, she rebounded from. She looked so frail and she was so tough. Until we got the, the diagnosis of her heart. Asked them, you know, what, how, how can you treat it? Can you treat it? And um, he said, there's really nothing. We're in December of, of 99, and um, yeah, she, she, she passed out. And, you know, we looked at each other and we said, it, it was her time. So the hope for me started to rise in knowing that this wasn't the end of her story. And when you're raising a child with no voice, you don't get to hear their voice, their true, not, not just the sound, but their expression and their thoughts. So I, I long Um, to hear her side, you know, to hear her, her input, to hear what did she really enjoy. So it's still sad, it's still painful, and, and, and it hurts now to think about it. But it's not the end of it. It's not all there is. It really is going to be renewed. It really is going to be different. It is so good. The idea of ever waiting in a new earth, locking eyes, I, I, I know it, it will be her. She'll be perfect and we'll run for each other.
see this picture of our Heavenly Father just taking Brad and Lisa into his arms, holding their faces, and he says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When Brad and Lisa are in a restored heaven and a restored earth, they're going to see their daughter. They're going to lock eyes. And they're going to run to each other. This is the hope of a restored heaven and a restored earth. Our bodies will be restored. And death, who seems to be all triumphant in this world, will be defeated. We don't grieve like the world grieves because we have hope, amen? We are people of hope. And so while we live now, so while we anticipate a world where there's no more pain and no more death and no more suffering, what world will we live in? What will that world be like? And John gives us a description. He says that this world will be like a holy city. In fact, it says in verse 15, it says, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's about, that's about 1,400 miles. And as wide and as high as it's long. So you see, John is getting out a tape measure. And he's kind of measuring things out. He's seeing how big things are. Because the earth to come is a physical, real, actual place. It's, it's, it's something that's going to be earthy. It's not somewhere out there or nebulous. And he goes on to say this. It says, The angel measured the wall using human measurements. It was 144 cubits thick. That means 216 feet thick. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Y'all, I hope you like urban living, because heaven's a city. But there's lots of green space in this city. Imagine Yosemite National Park planted right in the middle of New York City. That is where we're going to spend our eternal home with the Father. And in this city, think about what's in the city. What do we love about cities? There's restaurants, and there's music, and there's commerce, and there's creativity. It's the best of New York City on a crisp fall day without the traffic or rude people. <laughs> and there's no crowding, plenty of space to be around, and it's clean. This is the new city that God has given us with gates and walls. And the city, Jerusalem, it actually means the city of peace. This is what God has for us. And what else is in a real city? Well, there's real people. And there's real people in this city. And so I hope you like diversity, because the Bible says there's been people every tribe, tongue, nation, every ethnicity. I love how John describes this in Revelation 7. He says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You know what this says to me? God is not colorblind. Amen? God is not colorblind. We will live in a world where there's no implicit bias, where there is no prejudice, where there is no judgment, but we see each other from the character that we have. We are different, we are diverse in all of our uniqueness and all of our giftings, but we're in complete equality. Because at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. Amen? At the foot of the cross, we are equal. Man, I can't wait to get to the new heavenly city. Because you know what? God's going to have some surprises in there. We're going to be looking around and we're going to be like, wait, how did you get in here? How did you? Man, they're letting anybody in here, right? 
But that's what's so incredible. Jesus is the one who is the engineer of the new creation. He is the one that is bringing about the architecting of this entire new place. And while there are many ways to get to Jesus, there's only one way to get to the heavenly city, to the new Jerusalem, to the new heavens, new earth, and it's through Christ. Because here's the deal, guys. We don't get access to this new earth by simply going to church. God's not counting your attendance. We don't, we don't get access to this new city because we're born in a Christian family or because we're a good person and we do good things. It all comes down to this one question and how we orientate our life around this question, which is this. What do you do about Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? And is it in line with what Jesus says about himself? Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do you see Jesus? Is he kind of like this enlightened uh, spiritual guru that has, says all these really insightful things that you post on Instagram? Or is he this a curious historical figure that, you know, had this impact on history that we still feel today? Was he some sort of uh, rebel that ended up getting, you know, killed in a rebellion? Or is he the son of God? Is he the one that created the heavens and the earth? Because what the Bible says is Jesus was present when the original heavens and earth were created. And he will be present and there and driving the new heavens and the new earth. He is the one who at his death on the cross, he absorbed our pain, he absorbed our guilt, he absorbed our sin and the chaos and the power of death into himself. And his death on the cross began, the, began turned, the clock started going where the new heavens and the new earth were revealed. And see, what Jesus said was, I will take your guilt. I will take your shame. I will take every evil thought that you've had. I will take every evil action that you've ever done. And I will trade, but I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my holiness. I'll give you my purity. I will make you able to be an inhabitant of the new heaven and the new earth. Amen, church? This is our Father. This is what he's doing. His desire is that none shall perish. But only until we are revived through Christ's death can we find true hope and true healing on the cross. So here's my question. Will you be there? Will you be there? Maybe you're here today and you're not sure if, if you're a Christ follower, if Jesus has come into your life. And maybe today's the day that you're going to start and you're going to take that bold step to enter into eternity. Because eternity is not something that starts when we die. Actually, eternity starts right now because what eternity means is we're in a relationship with Jesus. We can begin eternity as soon as Christ comes into our life and rules and reigns there. And one of the responsibilities that we have as Christ followers is we actually get to bring heaven into earth. That's one of the things that we get to be a part of. Because listen, our view of the end times has to have an impact on how we live our lives today. Amen? So in fact, the study of the end times is called eschatology, which means the study of the end times, the things that are at the end, all the events that take place until Christ comes back. Now, I've met believers that are obsessed over eschatology. They're obsessed over the end times. They're like, they're so into like, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Because they're so obsessed over everything. They want to know, okay, who's going to be this? What's the date for this? And literally, they don't care for their families. And they don't care for creation. Because in their mindset, it's, well, you know, this earth's going to hell in a handbasket. Who cares? But that is not what the Bible teaches. The scriptures teach that this is the world that God created. It's the world that he is going to restore. And if this present world is the world that we are going to inhabit one day, well, we better get it ready, don't you think? Amen? 
This world, even though right now it's not there yet, but we know where it's going. Our view of the eternal future should impact what we're going to do today. So what does that look like for us? What does that mean? Well, it means that as Christians, we should be on the forefront of being caretakers of this planet. We should be taking care of it. So you know what? Recycling, it counts. Not only that, we should also be the first ones on the forefront of human rights. Because in heaven there is justice, in heaven there is equality, in heaven there is freedom. So whenever there is injustice on earth, we are supposed to be the ones that are standing in the gap and say, this will not take place. Whenever there is, amen, let's give our Father thanks right now. Because this is who we are as the church. If it's not happening, if, if injustice and oppression and systemic injustice doesn't take place in heaven, it should not take place on earth. God is calling us to step into that fight. That's who we're called to be. We should also be the first ones that are able to say, you know what, we're going to come against homelessness. We're going to come against poverty. Because in heaven, there are no homeless. In heaven, there is no poverty. And so we're going to stand against that because that's who we are as Christ followers. But what does this actually look like? What, what does it look like for us to actually do this? I want to give you a quick example of how we do this here at Liquid. So I was on Facebook the other day, and I came across this post from one of our small groups that was meeting, who, who was actually getting ready to serve with the Relief Bus, which is one of our partner ministries. And the post said this, Our Liquid Church Life Group, rolling socks and making bags of candy to give out Friday night when we serve the homeless of Newark on the Relief Bus. This is a picture of bringing heaven crashing into earth. This is a picture of saying we are going to go to the least of these, and we're going to say that God loves you. That there is value for your life. We're going to give out candy and socks, but it's a way to say that you are noticed and that you are loved. Because guys, in heaven, there are no haves and have-nots. Amen? No, because our Father has a home for all of us. Our Father has a place for every single one of us. And so we want to give people a sampling of that, don't we? We want people to taste what it's like to be in the presence of a God that loves them, cares for them, created them, and has a purpose and a plan for their lives. When we engage in acts of love and kindness for God's kingdom, it's how heaven invades earth. I love what uh, N.T. Wright says in his book, Surprised by Hope. He says this, What you do in the present, by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, it will last into God's future. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Nothing you do for God's kingdom will be lost. Amen? No small act of kindness, no small act of love, no small act of justice will go unnoticed. Your Father in heaven sees you. He sees what you do, and he's going to rework it into the new heavens and the new earth, and it will last for all time. Because what we do here will echo into eternity. So here's my closing question for you. Does your life bring heaven to earth? Does your life, does your actions, does your thought patterns, does your behavior patterns, do they bring heaven to earth? Are you the salt and the light that Jesus envisioned you as the church to be? Or do you bring misery with you wherever you go? Do you bring apathy wherever you go? Do you perpetuate pain and hell wherever you go? You see, our understanding of the future earth should make a difference for how we'll treat the present earth. Amen? And you see, our Father is on a mission. 
His mission isn't just so that we can get saved one day and go to some disembodied place out there. No. You see, your father's on a mission for the restoration and the renewal of all things. And for Christ followers, he's like, are you going to join me? Or are you going to get in my way? Are we going to link arms with the Father and bring heaven crashing into earth where God's rule takes place, God's order takes place, God's ways are taking place? Are we living our lives today like we're going to be living in the future world to come? Or are we still kind of living the way everyone else does? You know, if we partner with the Father in his mission of restoration of all things new, we actually can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. You know how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? He said, Our Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, here, as in heaven. See, God has not called us to safety. He's called us to bring heaven, his rule and reign, right here on this earth. So let me ask you one more time. Do you, does your life bring heaven to earth? Because guys, in a moment, we're going to sing about how the atmosphere is changing and the Spirit of the Lord is here and the evidence is all around. And we're going to sense His presence and His power here. But I feel like what the Father wants to say to you is, is the atmosphere changing where you work? Is the atmosphere changing in your home? Is the atmosphere changing in your neighborhood? Is the atmosphere changing when you go to the playground and you're taking your kids on a play date? Is the atmosphere changing in every encounter that you have with people all around you? Because you see, guys, God wants to bring heaven crashing and smashing into earth. And for many of us, we first need heaven to invade us before it can invade earth. We need to be filled with the things of heaven, the things of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask all of our campuses, would you just stand with me right now? All across our campuses, all across the state of New Jersey, let's all stand. Because I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and let the kingdom of God invade us. Here's what I want to say. I actually want us to hold out our arms because I feel like God wants to give us something right now. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And we ask that you would invade us. God, we know that there's a restored earth to come. It's going to be better than we could ever imagine. And so we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to invade us. May we be ambassadors of the new heavens and the new earth. May we be ambassadors in the way we think, in the way we act, in the way we talk. May we be ambassadors by embodying hope to a world that is hopeless. Father, would you invade us right now? Holy Spirit, would you come? Just let the Spirit come. Let him speak to you right now. Invade us now, Jesus. If you're a Christ follower in this room, I just want to ask you to pray with me. Because I want to talk to those of you, maybe today you're kind of wondering if you are a Christ follower. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer. But maybe today's the day you want to begin that journey. I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to have you pray a prayer with me. Let's pray it out loud. In fact, I want to ask all of our campuses, let's all pray this prayer out loud together so no one feels alone. But this is a prayer to begin that journey to enter into eternity with Jesus. So go ahead and repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I am far from you. I acknowledge that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and that you now have given me access to heaven. 
I choose to follow you today. I choose to give you my life, my affections, my heart, my mind to you today. You are my leader. You are my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in welcoming new brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God today?